Final practice of the week coming up just after noon today for the Indianapolis Colts. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, joins us right now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. May tell you, I brought it up earlier. I thought um, it was a great stat that you found on time of possession related to Patrick Mahomes, and I was hoping that you could share that with our listeners. I know time of possession to some, it's like, well, the analytics, you know, they say it doesn't matter. I think it has some relevance when you're facing a quarterback like him. What is that stat with Mr. Mahomes? So when when Mahomes and company, since 2018, since he took over at quarterback, the Chiefs are 3-7 and when the Chiefs lose time of possession by at least 10 minutes. Um, So they're obviously finding, you know, obviously out of 10 tries, they still won three of those. So just because you do that doesn't mean you're going to win the football game. You still can't give up big plays. You still got to keep things in front of you and and give up the explosives. Um, But it just means that if you play complimentary football, like the Colts did the last time these two teams played in 2019, where you won time of possession by 15 minutes and had the ball for 37 minutes of game time in that game, that that's, typically the best way to do it is keep them on off the field and grind out first downs, you know, get 30 plus first downs, win time of possession, score in the red zone. That's the way to beat the chiefs. And the Colts did that with, with high degree of success in 2019. And that's what they're going to try and do on Sunday, but he's so good that he can still beat you when things in the box score don't go their way. Matt, I'm going to make a really bad analogy. I know that'll stun you, but it's the only one I can think of in, to to relate the two things that that you and I do that would have in common. Which you know, there's not a lot in common between doing the play by play of auto racing and the play by play of football. But I think about like on in the Indianapolis 500, there are occasionally restarts that I'm I'm calling it, and I'm just kind of anticipating a routine restart. And then Alexander Rossi goes wide and passes like eight cars. And you're like, I was not expecting that at all. And suddenly, like, I've got to be on my toes and on my A game here. I would Mm -hmm. think that that's a little bit of what calling a game with Patrick Mahomes is like. Because you never know when that lightning is going to strike and all of a sudden he's going to catch it in a bottle on a play that you think is otherwise routine. Is that a fair statement? You know, great great analogy because it, it, it does make perfect sense, at least to me. And this will be the third game that I've called, you know, between the Colts and the Chiefs. And he is just different. He he does make you kind of have to reset your brain on how you call a game or how you anticipate things because of the the juke and the jiving that he does in the backfield, all the pump fakes. You know, you can't get fooled by the pump fakes where you say it's upfield. Oh no, he's still got the ball. You know, you got to really watch him, and you really have to watch the ball. Um, to accurately describe all that he can do. And, and again, I think that just goes back to what I said earlier. Even if you do do all the things you're supposed to do in the box score, he's still so good to extend plays and turn it into backyard football, playground football, where we, we've all seen it, where he's outside the pocket rolling to his right, and then he's just pointing downfield, and he's just directing traffic on the fly, you know, telling a guy to go here, I got time, or now I'm going to scramble over to my left and, you know, throw off my back foot or have to re-square my shoulders. He's just that that good and that talented and what he can do. And that's why it's such a you know problem if you're talking about scheme against this guy. Do you rush four, drop seven or eight? Uh, you know, you bring three and play dime in the back. It's just, you know, what is the best way to, to combat this guy? Because you want to keep him in the pocket, 
But at the same time, you don't want to give them all day to throw. He can just pick you apart with all the matchups they have with uh, Schuster and Scantling and obviously Travis Kelsey. And now they're way more, you know, democratic with the ball than they ever have been because of the loss of Tyreek Hill. So it really is anybody on even any given play with that offense that can beat you. And so, yes, to, to go back to your earlier point, you know, Mahomes does make you as a play-by-play guy have to really concentrate. You can't anticipate things because he'll, he'll turn a three or four play uh, second play into a six or seven long play second play. And uh, you just can't be fooled with his wizardry and, you know, his ability to extend plays and make magic happen. Uh, in all four quarters some Houdini moments certainly and it'll be the first look at Patrick Mahomes for Colts fans inside of Lucas Oil Stadium uh, again one o'clock kick here on Sunday Matt Taylor voice of the Colts is with us Matt I, I've I'm simplifying it a little bit too much but let's just look at the blueprint for Sunday and think of it in two ways we've talked about the ball control you think back to that 2019 meeting you had 45 carries that night for 180 yards I mean, if Jonathan Taylor could sniff that, and obviously other backs as well, that would be huge on Sunday. The other part of that 2019 upset, you hit Mahomes eight times, you sacked him four. I mean, frankly, you mm-hmm. you, you, you injured him early in the game. He was kind of hobbled right. throughout. Right. So if you look at those two areas of the blueprint, the ball control and, let's say, getting home with a four-man rush, I feel much more confident in the ball control aspect right now than I do the four-man right. rush. Um, and I think when you factor in Kansas City's strengths and weaknesses, that plays into my thought process as well. Where are you at in your level of confidence in those two areas? Yeah, I'm with, I mean, based off what we've seen so far, I mean, the Colts have played nine quarters when you factor in the overtime. Um, they've really only gotten consistent pressure in one of those. That didn't come until, you know, the fifth quarter in week one with Quiddy Pay with a couple of sacks. So, yeah, if you're going to only rush rush four and get consistent pressure, that means those guys got to start winning. And, you know, you talk about the injury report this week with Unique Ngakwe and landing on it with the back. He didn't practice yesterday. So that's, you know, a concern and a big storyline today to factor in his availability because, you know, he's, uh, you know, I know he's had a quiet start to the season, but he's still, you know, a premier guy, consistent guy at, at that position, creating pressure, you know, every year since 2016. And, you know, DeForest Buckner is still on the injury report, although he's practiced in full, but he's still, you know, landing on the injury report with a hip. You know, Quiddy Pay is still developing in year number two. Yeah, I'm with you. It's, it's, you got to be able to do both of those things. And if you're just talking about confidence level, you're, you're confident in the Colts' ability to run the football and get first downs and eke out a lot of long possessions in this game, maybe more so than your confidence in the pass rush. That just boils down to what you've seen so far. And I think there is a uh, a little bit of a healthy push on that unit this week, knowing that hey, it was it was a proposed strength of this team in training camp because of the personnel they added, you know, going heavy in the draft with Quiddy in 2021 in the first round, uh, you know, trading boldly for Ngakwe. You've got Buckner, who saw so many double teams last year from his defensive tackle position. Um, that that needs to come to fruition. You know, same thing with Dio Dangbo taking that second step in year number two. If the Colts are going to win this game, they have to kind of replicate what they did three years ago in Kansas City that night, and they've got to find some way to get pressure and sacks and disruptions with only four instead of selling out and blitzing Patrick Mahomes because we've seen that too. If you bring extra pressure or extra guys to generate pressure, 
He's going to pick you apart with his accuracy and the playmakers they have on the outside, and it's 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 sort of a bad recipe. So you got to pick and choose your moments. You can't just play them one way the entire game, but consistently with the front four, that that has to generate some momentum and some pressure in order for the Colts to win this game. Matt, let's say hypothetically, Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, is our guest on the Payless Liquors guest line. Let's say hypothetically, Chris Ballard calls Frank Reich this week on the phone. And he says, Coach, I got to thinking about this, and here's what we're going to do to beat Kansas City. We're going to take the game film from our first two games, and we're going to pick the nuances of the areas that we have done well so far, and we're just going to go all in on those. Not based on where they have been good in years past, but where they have had flickers of hope or promise this year. Frank Wright calls Chris Ballard back and says, I watched the film and decided our best areas are this. What two things does he mention? Clone Grover well, Stewart. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think, well, yeah, it's it's Grover Stewart. It's, uh, you know, outside of one bad kick in overtime, uh, it's been special teams play, which has been really, really good. And, you know, those, those are not the, the two biggest things you want to talk about when you're, uh, through two games of the season, you know, you're 0-1-1. And, and when you're talking about your punter being the highlight of your team so far, one of them, that's obviously not a good indication of, of how things have gone so far. Um, so I think right now the Colts are sort of recalibrating, you know, what, what they want to be and who they want to be on offense. And I think, you know, Frank kind of talked about it earlier this week, and it's it's become – all right, we need to start thinking about players and not necessary plays. And I would, I would think that the Colts are going to think long and hard about who their best players are and get those guys on the field. And to me, it's Taylor, it's Pittman, and hopefully he's healthy coming up on Sunday, and it's Hines. I, I wouldn't be shocked to see a lot of you know, two-back uh, formations, or in this case, Hines in the slot, just have Hines and Taylor on the field way more than what they have been through the first two games. Now I could be totally wrong about that, but I think if you're just talking, if you're hearing the head coach and the play caller talk about players, not plays, then, you know, your best players are 21, 28, 11, and, you know, get the ball spread it around to Alec Pierce and, and, you know, uh, Mike Strawn, who I think is not too big or that this game is not too big for him uh, in year number two. So, I mean, I think those are the things you're focusing on on offense. It's just we need to get the ball into our best playmakers' hands more often here. And it also starts with the offensive line, too. You know, those guys need to do a better job of protecting. I know you guys have chronicled it. Um, you know, we've talked about it as well, just the amount of investment and dedication to that offensive line across the board. And until you fix the problems that you've seen so far – with the twists and the stunts and the text games and, you know, the creativity that teams have shown to get after Matt Ryan uh, until you fix those things, that leaky faucet's still going to be there. It's a copycat league and the Colts know that. And they've spent all week trying to shore those things up. Ryan Kelly has talked about it this week. I know Braden Smith and Quentin Nelson have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. So I think going back to your, your racing analogy, Jake, you know, with the restarts, I think this is the ultimate restart for the Colts. And it's kind of natural because it's week three. You haven't played your best. It's the home opener. You have a marquee opponent coming into Lucas Oil Stadium. And all of the, the football world is down on you saying you're overrated, you're not as good, and all of these things. It's a perfect time to go out and show people that you are the team that you think you are. 
you're much better than the product you've put on the field. And to, again, to use that restart analogy, let's let's restart our focus, our intensity, our energy about this season. Because even though it's week three and you're winless through two games, listen, you still have 15 games left. The AFC South is very, very forgiving. The Jaguars aren't going to run away from anybody. They're not going to win the Super Bowl this year. Everything you, you have uh, goal-wise is still out there in front of you. You just need to fix, you know, yourself. You know, you, there's been a lot of self-inflection in the first two games. If you, if you correct a lot of the stuff that you've done to yourself, then I think you're going to be in, a, in a, a position where you can compete with the Chiefs, and if you play really well, you can beat this team at home. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of feels like on the restart here, uh, the Colts have yet to really get the car in gear, but then they realize that the other cars in their row, one of them just sideswiped the wall and the other one completely stalled, <laughs> right? And the one, that, the one that's just in front of them is driving a brand-new car that it hasn't totally figured out yet. So, they're, right. so you know, I mean, for – Unforgiving is a really good way of saying, or forgiving, I guess, is a really good way of saying it, right? The AFC South is pretty forgiving at this point, no question about yeah. it. Right. Matt, um, something I brought up earlier, and again, Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Um, Isaiah Rogers, Matt, has not played a defensive snap in the first two weeks of the season. I asked Gus Bradley about it earlier in the week, and you know, he didn't say anything too alarming about why he's not on the field. Um, I understand the Colts' line of thinking in years past; they never wanted to play six defensive backs because they didn't want to take either Shaquille Leonard or Bobby Okereke off the field. Those two guys just meant too much to them. Well, right now, you know, and we'll see about Linda for Sunday, you don't have that. And to me, Zaire Franklin is more of a run guy than he is mm -hmm. kind of a kind of a coverage guy. So I look at Sunday and think, you know, man, could you throw out Isaiah Rogers? Again, you'd probably be playing more defensive backs, but to your point about what do you do to defend Mahomes this seems to match up with a, can we find somebody new to throw out there that can help us? And also, does it play right into the game plan of defending such a high-octane offense? So, Rodgers is a name that I'm just curious about, Matt. You know, when you've had the struggles you've had, uh, could he be a guy that you turn to? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely worth talking about because in the past when he's played, and it hasn't been a ton in terms of consistency, he's been – sort of a spot starter or a contributor due to injuries in the past, he's played well. I mean, he's got, you know, the interception on Tom Brady, and he's got some other good, you know, defensive moments. He had that would-be interception, a batted ball in the end zone a couple of years ago as a rookie in the playoffs when he really didn't play a lot in his rookie season in the regular season, came up in a big moment, you know, there in Buffalo. So he's a good player that has just things that you just can't teach. I mean, he's got speed and quickness and makeup ability, even when you think he's beat, he's not because of just his raw athleticism and that speed where he can, you know, cover ground in a, in a, in a short amount of time. Um, so yeah, that to me has been interesting because he hasn't played at all. And during training camp, at least those first couple of weeks, Kevin, it was sort of 50, 50 on who's going to be out there between he and Faison because maybe not 50, 50, but you know, there, there was, there was, enough division of the playing time where you thought it was a competition and then to not have him play at all defensively the first two games um, has been a little bit of an outlier on how I thought the early part of the season would go at his position. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you look at the Colts defense as a whole and they've been sort of feast or famine, hit or miss, you know, and I don't know if, if this has anything to do with, with Faison's involvement out there or not. I mean, I have to go back and watch, 
you know, the, the circumstances and situational. But, you know, the, the Colts have been one of maybe the best team in the NFL at creating three and outs so far. They've also induced a ton of punts. I think they have eight three and outs forced on defense, which is really good. But then at the same time, they've allowed five five drives of at least ten plays to their opponents, including three on Sunday to the Jaguars, where they gave up 17 points on those on three of those possessions. So five possessions total in two games, they've given up 24 points. So it's like there's really no middle ground for the Colts. If they don't get off the field right away, then it's sort of this long, arduous, uh, you know, long possession for the for the opponent um, and arduous for the Colts to get off the field. So that's where you want to find some consistency where if you, hey, if you give up a first down or two, you can still get off the field and make them punt from the 50-yard line or in the, in the high red zone, whatever it is. Um, and I don't know, again, where facing factors into that, but I'm with you. It has been a little bit of, of curiosity because of just I, I think Isaiah Rogers is a good football player, and I, I didn't predict that he would have a goose egg next to his name and involvement through, on defense through two games. Hey, Matt. Last thing here, since this is the home opener, and I wanted to give you the opportunity on this, I, I want people to know, uh, you know, you and I don't know each other well, but I know that you are very grateful for the opportunity you have as the voice of the Colts. Um, I know that, like me, you are aware of the fact that if it weren't for people listening, we wouldn't be doing this, right? We'd actually have real jobs, which would really suck. Um, so for me, like calling the race, when, when I my favorite part of every year of calling the 500 is when the dust is finally settled and everything's kind of quiet and I'm leaving and I look out kind of over the track and I think like, okay, what did we see today that we're going to talk about for a long time for you personally, is you still kind of absorb the opportunity that is beset before you now for another year of calling games at Lucas oil stadium. What's your favorite part of the game day experience? What is the part where Matt Taylor pulls in and thinks, well, I've come a long way from, taking a, a dinner break at my parents' house in the basement doing fake radio. What moment <laughs> What moment is when it hits you? I think for me that moment is right before the game and the national anthem, and you talk about it being quiet. It's, it's quiet for the national anthem. Everybody's standing. And most of the time, you know, you've got a sold-out crowd at Lucas Oil. Everybody's in their seats, you know, just minutes before game action. And, you know, you're so high up in the press box, you're seven stories up, and you can see the entire field, you can see the entire stadium. You know, you have this, this um, you know, panoramic view of, of the stadium being that high up. And it's, it's definitely a, a pinch-me moment. You know, there's 65,000 people here all rooting for, you know, one common goal. And just to see that, you know, number of people, that, that mass of humanity, uh, but then also to, to also realize, to your point, that there's that many people, I don't know what the number is, times, times 10, times 20, times 30, I don't know what the number is, listening around town, you know, streaming the game wherever they are around the country, listening on Sirius XM uh, all over the country, all over the world. And for whatever reason, they're tuned into the Colts game that day. And it's your job to paint the picture, to enhance their game day experience, to tell them what's going on, to put into context, you know, what's happening in the game, uh, you know, describe that in a, from a historical standpoint. I mean, it's just a huge responsibility. And so to look out at all those people 
right before the game, and also to know that I'm I'm a kid from Indianapolis. I grew up 15 minutes from Lucas Oil Stadium. To have this job in the state, in the city that I grew up in, the odds of that happening are pretty minuscule, where I don't have to chase a dream somewhere else and move my family. I can do it here and not have to uproot people. Um, that is something that's not lost on me. So, yeah, home games when the you know, the 100-yard the uh, national, the, the, the American flag is unfurled, that that's a big pinch me moment on how lucky I am to be doing what I'm doing and how much of a responsibility it is. And it's just not lost on me. And it's such a cool job and responsibility that I so much enjoy and look forward to. And a well-deserved opportunity that you were granted and have continued to do over the past couple of years. Rick Venturi along with Matt Taylor, Lara Overton on the call coming up here Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium. Our coverage will begin at uh, 10 o'clock, I think, network-wise, 9 o'clock, JMV is over at Bullseye Event Center. I usually join him in the 9 o'clock hour on home games. Bates, have a great call on Sunday. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Hey, congratulations again on Maximilian, Kev. Really, really happy for you, man. Thanks, brother. I appreciate that.